values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. And thanks for being here. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's The Who are heading to the auction pavilion October 30th for their The Who Hits Back Tour. Tickets go on sale Thursday at 10 a.m., but you could win a pair by visiting the contest page at KTAR.com. A couple of stories about the border to update you on some things. We heard an update from the national news a few moments ago. Uh, here's a headline. Border Patrol chief says the border crisis is a result of Biden's no consequences policy for illegal immigrants. Whether we are talking about street crimes, violent crimes, um, fraudulent, you know, p- people are white collar crimes. If there is no uh, level of p- uh, prosecution or punishment or consequences, people continue their actions. This is human nature. Um We teach it to our children. It was taught to us when we were children. We knew what the consequences were. We knew how many times uh, one of our parents, our mom or our dad, were going to say, don't make me come in there or knock it off. You could tell by the tone of their voice when your last opportunity came. And for some parents, there is very little room for error. And with other parents, they're a lot more lenient. But when the hammer falls, you realize there's a price to be paid. And if you're a child that's raised without discipline – there's a chance that you're going to be an undisciplined adult. It's not always the case. There are a lot of very good families that have cranked out some kids who are not necessarily good adults. But we understand the idea of discipline. We understand the idea of punishment when you do something wrong. And a lot of times it's when you make a mistake, you pay the price. Um, that's why, I listen, I wrote a book a few years ago. People think I'm joking when I say this because most people don't think I can read a book. Never mind, write one. But I wrote a book, and it's called If You're Going to Be Dumb, You Better Be tough because my mother said that to me all of my life, not just my childhood. There was a lot of my adulthood where that phrase was uttered in my direction. Um, If you're going to be dumb, you better be tough because life is going to be difficult. And the Border Patrol is saying there are no consequences. And we all know that this is true. We've talked about the horrible things that are happening at the border. I told a story yesterday of, a, of a, uh, an anonymous cartel member, a former cartel member, talking about the cartels purchasing children. Some of them they put into the drug trade as slaves. Others, they're harvesting their organs. I mean, it was the most despicable story I'd heard in a long time. And these are real stories from our southern border. And now you've got the chief of the Border Patrol. When when do we start listening to those people? When do we drop our political leanings and listen to the experts that are saying the policies of this administration are decimating the southern border of the United States? Here's another one. This from the Daily Caller News Foundation. The federal government. Get ready to laugh. The federal government is paying to bus illegal immigrants from one border town. That would be the town of El Paso uh, to New York City, according to Texas officials. The city government of El Paso, Texas, is busing illegal migrants to the Big Apple on the dime of the Federal Emergency Management uh, Agency. That's FEMA, by the way. Deputy City Manager Mario D'Agostino told the DCNF Monday the federal agency covers the travel costs of illegal migrants through a grant program. The travel costs for migrants are covered through the FEMA Emergency Food and Shelter Grant. With the goal to provide the safety of the migrants from certain elements and to preserve the community's transitory hospitality shelter capacities so they may continue to serve our homeless community, the Office of Emergency Management has sponsored and provided transportation services for migrants out of El Paso, which is reimbursable through FEMA. 
So the federal government is paying for this. I wonder if the mayor of New York is going to call this horrific treatment and uh, the abuse of people for politics. Um, This is a problem. And the more you try to deflect the problem, the funnier you look. This problem in our southern border gets worse and worse and worse. There's no doubt that that is what's happening at our southern border. Um, The idea, this one is an Associated Press story, says in Yuma, Arizona, um, uh, that uh, hours before Arizona, Doug Ducey declared a major step forward to secure our border with the installation of 130 double-stack shipping containers. Hundreds of migrants found their way around them, belying his claim. They walked through tribal lands to the edge of a towering wall built during the Trump administration to surrender to border agents waiting outside the reservation. No kidding. This is the part of this story that really gets me. So you put a structure up in one area and they go somewhere else. That's exactly what they knew was going to happen. I predicted this when it happened. It happens with Border Patrol agents, too, right now. When uh, you've got Border Patrol or CBP agents or ICE agents, when they were flooding into southern Texas because of the mass migration coming north through you know uh, towns like McAllen, Texas and Del Rio. And um, th- what they did was they moved them. West and they came into Arizona is when we saw that huge flood of people come into Yuma. This is exactly why the problem is a comprehensive problem that's got to be taken on federally in a much bigger way. Structures where necessary, more personnel, more technology. How about accountability and punishment? If the rule is if you come into this country illegally, if you come into this country and you apply for asylum, And you're denied if your claim is found to be uh, whether it's a fraudulent or just found to be it doesn't fit American law, then you are precluded from coming into the country legally for or applying again for asylum for, let's say, a year, two years, whatever it is. If people know when they come here under false pretenses that they're not going to be allowed to stay for three, four, five years while their case is waiting to be heard, that they are going to have to wait on the other side of the border. It takes away the incentive for coming because there are many people that understand. I understand human nature, and it's my nature as well. If we bring people to this country and we allow them to stay and our system is overwhelmed, this is an American way of life. This is how we think as Americans. People are coming across our border, and according to our laws, they've got to be processed in a timely manner. We get them processed through in that timely manner, but we can't adjudicate their case. So it's got to go on a schedule. Well, the schedule is backed up years, two, three, four years backed up. So you get a court date four years from now, but since you're already here, you've already applied, your case isn't decided, you have a legal right to stay and work or whatever. So you come here, and over the next three years awaiting your court date, which you may or may not be planning to show up for, you then meet someone, you have a baby, or you get married, or both, you put down roots, and then your court case comes up. And the United States says, you know, your case is frivolous and you really don't have a leg to stand on. You have no legal right to be in the U.S. And you say, but I've been here now for four years. I put down roots. I'm in love. I'm married. Um, You know, I I own um, a car. I have a child that is now an American born child. You can't separate a family by sending me home. I met and married an American. We know that that's what's happening. 
Now, I feel for people that want the American dream. We've got to fix the system, but we cannot allow what's happening at our southern border to continue. The horrific story, if you didn't hear me talk about it yesterday, of a cartel member, a former cartel member speaking anonymously and saying that they are buying children. Sometimes these children are mutilated to sell their organs on the black market. They use the the corpses of young children to mule drugs because they know if it's a body that nobody's going to inspect the inside of a body. Not my story. This is somebody that says he was a cartel member or she was a cartel member, and this is what the cartels are doing. And if we are going to allow this to happen, then we are guilty of allowing it to happen, and we should feel guilty. In a moment, an update on the shooting of what happened in North Phoenix yesterday, crimes against law enforcement, and a deadly weekend. All that's coming up here in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. And thanks for being here. We had a conversation yesterday with the chief of police in the city of Phoenix, um, Jerry Williams. And unfortunately, on a number of occasions in the past year, uh, the chief has come in studio with us to explain how another uh, officer involved shooting in this time when officers have been injured. And thankfully that there have been some, uh, although there have been some very serious injuries to officers, um, there weren't any deaths. That uh, going back to December of last year, uh, Officer Tyler Maldivan was gunned down in a horrific crime um, and we, we went through the list of, of those that happened um, to officers in less than a year and the list is long and it's harrowing and the long term damage and when we hear um, this is the other part of it when you hear about an officer being shot in the line of duty but then you find out that they are non-life threatening injuries we all breathe a very big sigh of relief but what we don't know and probably shouldn't necessarily know because it's private information is the in many times grueling physical recovery and mental recovery that an officer goes through after an incident like that um you know, and when you and, and again, I'm not a doctor, but we all are pretty intellectually sound on things, and we kind of understand instinctively. When you hear about an officer who was shot at the scene of an investigation for domestic violence, and the bullet went under her bulletproof vest, and it's 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 a gut shot. Um, we know how damaging that can be for somebody, and how long the process of recovery is for that. When you have officers that have their shoulders severely damaged, or um, you know, all of these wounds take such a long time to heal. It is a long process of recovery for them and for their families, and for their mental well-being and emotional well-being. Um, and it's happening far too often. Officers understand the danger of the job they do. Their families don't sign up for it, but their families Families are dragged into it. Um, and Chief Williams joined us yesterday. And what was interesting about this was in the midst of talking about another couple of her officers injured in the line of duty, this time by some unknown reason, some maniac with a gun for no unknown reasons, just starts opening fire at a hotel and businesses and just lost his mind. Officers show up on the scene. They take gunfire the minute they get there. Should we talked about the hundreds of rounds that were shot there. But the chief came in with statistics about our community as well. This weekend was 17 shootings in total and, and 11 homicides. So part of me says, not just as a police chief, but as a community member, who, who is going to stand up and, and talk about the fact that this can't continue to happen? 
And that's absolutely part of it. I, I agree with everything that she is saying. We continue to argue, and maybe it's time to start having the conversation. We continue to argue about taking guns out of people's hands. And some people say, well, you shouldn't be allowed to have that type of weapon. And I've actually had someone ask me, and I have reasonable conversations with people that completely disagree with me. They're not all vitriolic conversations. Um, Why would you ever need an AR-15? And I have responded very honestly. I don't know. I don't know when I would ever need one. But as long as I know that criminals have them, I want to have the ability to make sure I don't show up with a BB gun to a, you know, uh, somebody with a rifle. You know, I own a multitude of handguns for self-protection as well. And you look at a situation where the police roll up on something called shots fired. They are armed to the teeth with rifles as well. They have tactical gear because they know that there is a criminal element in our midst that are armed to the teeth with these. So until you disarm the criminal... Don't talk to me about disarming me. That's just my political stance on the Second Amendment and on self-protection. As long as the local law enforcement needs this kind of equipment to face the criminal element that's out there, I do too. And they say, well, you're not a cop. No, I'm not. But when cops aren't around, what am I supposed to do? We played not long ago. We played on the air, broken into two segments, a woman calling 911 because there was an intruder breaking into her house. And the absolute terror in this woman's voice as she cowered and hid from an intruder that was blatantly just uh, without any kind of fear breaking into her house. I want all of you to think about it happening to you for a moment or someone you love. This isn't about the wild, wild west, but what we have to focus on, what we have to focus on is what the Phoenix Police Department is focusing on. And that is disarming the segment of our society that is on the streets legally but prohibited to have firearms. There is also a market for it. Just like there's a market for illegal drugs, there are drug dealers out there. And people in those neighborhoods know who the drug dealers are. They know who sells the weed. They know who sells the fentanyl and the meth and the heroin. And they know who these people are and where to get it. They also know who's selling the guns. And so the Phoenix Police Department, in conjunction with federal authorities like the ATF, have now have a an intelligence center where they are focused on intelligence gathering and arresting people. They made over 700 confiscations of firearms and over 500 arrests just since July. That's the way you put a dent in this. To let the criminal element know if you're doing that in our city, you are going to pay a heavy price. And I'm glad they're doing it. And I, I think it's going to work over time. It is going to do a lot more than this argument over gun confiscation or, or limiting of a law-abiding citizens from getting and owning firearms. Um, Want to shift gears to a very interesting topic. We keep hearing in the news updates about more vaccines for kids and the way we treated kids with COVID and things we did in schools. A very outspoken CNN medical analyst who is an outspoken proponent of masking of children, how she has changed her tune and why. I'll let you hear it next. Strong Valley.
values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Um, instead of looking back at what we did, we uh, for the purposes of, um, in any situation, for criticism, a lot of times it's for how are we better next time. I think every good organization, no matter what you do, uh, looks back at something you've done and figure out what we can do better next time. Whether it's a critical incident like we saw up in North Phoenix last night where life and death is truly on the line for police officers, if it's a sports team. If it's a charitable contribution or a charitable event, you have a wrap-up debrief where you say, how do we do? What can we do better next time? What did we get right? And that's just the logical way for people to behave. Um, so when I look back at COVID-19, um, there isn't any I told you so in anything. It is truly to look at this and say, what did we know? How do we react? As the data changed, how did we respond? Looking back, how could we have responded better? And I start that because there is a, a, a Dr. Lena, or is it Leanna Wen, Dr. Wen, and she was a pro-mandate activist, and she was a contributor to CNN. Um, she said through the pandemic, she uh, called. She was pro-mandate. She said, we are not out of the woods. We haven't reached the end of the pandemic. She said it a pro-mask CNN piece. It's counterproductive and truly infuriating. These governors are treating this as if the pandemic is over. It's not true. Later that year, she went so far as to argue that unvaccinated people should not be allowed to leave their homes. Here's the quote. We need to start looking at the choices, the choice to remain unvaccinated the same way we look at driving while in intoxicated. You have the option to not get vaccinated if you want, but then you can't go out in public. So that was the stance this doctor took a year or so ago. A year later, in a recent Washington Post article, she explained why she no longer will be masking her children and how she shifted away from being extremely cautious. Here's the quote. I accept the risk that my child, my kids, I'm sorry, will probably contract COVID-19 this school year, just as they could contract the flu, respiratory uh, viruses and other contagious diseases. As for most Americans, uh, COVID in our family will almost certainly be mild. And like most Americans, we've made the decision to follow precautions strict enough to prevent the highly contagious BA5, which will uh, will be very challenging. Um, And here's what changed. She now says that masking her child, her toddler, stunted her child's language development and taught her an important lesson about trade-offs. So the immediate political argument here, and because I have so many friends that I defended – I was not anti-vax. As a matter of fact, I got vaccinated and boosted. I always want to give that disclaimer. Uh, I have so many friends that are, were anti-vaxxers, whether it was all vaccines or this one. And I had so many people that said masks are stupid and they're not doing any good or whatever they said. And there were those that disagreed, but the the vitriol and the anger, the people that would – so you were wearing a mask, and then you see someone that's not wearing a mask, and so you are so afraid of how they can hurt you by not wearing a mask that you get in their face and threaten them. How many times do we see that happen? The demonization of people that did just not go with the program. Doctors like this that said if you're unvaccinated, you shouldn't be allowed to leave your home. There were others that were told they weren't allowed to – they should lose their children. They should lose their jobs. That was the political climate here. If on social media you defended an anti-vax or an anti-mask 
position. You were pushed down, suspended, shut off, whatever you want to call it, so that your views were questioned by fact checkers and, and at the very least disclaimers were put up before your comments could be read or your meme could be laughed at or whatever. That's what we did in this country. And it was wrong when it started. And as the further we get away from the beginning of COVID-19 and the more we learn about COVID-19, the more right the anti-mask and the anti-shutdown and the anti-isolation and the anti-vax crowd was. We now know that although the vaccination may be effective in diminishing uh, severity, especially in people with comorbidities and people that are older, we know that it does not prevent the virus from spreading. And anybody out there says they never said that. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. Experts said it. The president said it. Others said it, that if you get the vaccine, you cannot spread the virus. You look at professional athletes. You, you have a professional tennis player can't play in the U.S. Open. I mean, all of these things have happened. And you can't run away from them. The double standard is absolutely amazing. I want you to hear a little bit of uh, Karine Jean-Pierre and um, a conversation with Peter Ducey about the double standard on the vaccination when it comes to people crossing the border illegally and professional athletes. Those the questions regarding vaccination requirements, I defer you to CDC. This is a CDC requirement for foreign nationals. Uh, this is something that they decide. Uh, this is uh, so. This is something that is up to them. The U.S. Open and their participant protocols. I refer you to them. They have their own specific protocols as well. So you know, we that's the question was about the professional tennis player Djokovic, who was number one in the world, not being able to play at the U.S. Open because he's not vaccinated. But at the southern border, there is no vaccination requirement to enter this country. None whatsoever. So the, Ducey goes after a little more and makes the argument. But So our, how is it two different things? Somebody unvaccinated comes over on a plane. You say that's not okay. Somebody walks into Texas or Arizona unvaccinated. They're allowed to stay. But, Why? But that's not how it works. Okay. Like we actually, no. I know that that's not what you guys want to happen, but that is what, what has happened. But that's not, it's not like somebody walks over and <laughs> that's not, that's, that's not how exactly what's happening we well, thousands of people are walking in a day some of them turn themselves over some of them are caught tens of thousands a week are not that is what is happening yeah, and there is no vaccination requirement. They are not saying to people, once you file an asylum claim in America so that you can stay here whatever period of time it is until you are adjudicated, your case is adjudicated, if you want to stay on this side of the border, you have to be vaccinated. Now, I wouldn't agree with it, but it would be consistent. So you've got someone that is a professional athlete that says my right to put whatever I want or not put into my body whatever I want is my business and it's worth more than a title at the U.S. Open or millions of dollars. And if I have to stand on my laurels and do it this way, I will versus somebody that crosses the border illegally, demands asylum and demands a hearing and then is allowed to stay in this country without a vaccine mandate. And it's the same. Our southern border, it's no different. We've told this story a hundred times. And many of you know it because you do it. If you drive into Mexico and you drive back across the border, you don't have to prove with a negative test that you don't have COVID-19. If you fly to Mexico and you want to fly back into the U.S., same town, and you fly into the U.S., you have to have proof of a negative test. It's a double standard. 
And this is what infuriates people. And now you've got a doctor who was on the side of mandates, who was on the side of lockdowns, who was on the side of all of these things, now says, I've changed my mind because my toddler has had her language development stunted because of the masks. And now I understand the cost of trade-offs. That's someone that's looked back and said, what I saw at the beginning, now with new information, my opinion was wrong. And it's time we stop screaming at each other and accept the fact that once in a while, uh, you're going to have to back off your vitriol because when you're wrong, you're wrong. In a moment, oh, another one of my favorite topics. We're going to talk about climate change. Now, oh my gosh, it is the zombie ice. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. We have the conversation about environmentalism and what it really means. And the reason why I like that conversation is because the all or nothing groups of people that are out there, that either you completely believe Al Gore and the people, John Kerry, Harrison Ford, you know, all the people with private jets that are still jet setting around the world with huge carbon footprints, preaching at you about what's wrong with the planet and how we fix it. Um, and you either agree with them and you're in lockstep or you are not an environmentalist. You don't care about the planet and you are what they call a climate denier um zombie ice from greenland will raise the sea level 10 inches that's the headline uh greenland's rapidly melting ice sheet will eventually raise global sea levels by at least 10.6 inches more than twice as much as previously forecast according to a study published monday um let's go back just a little let's go back to uh 2009 In 2009, Al Gore predicted an ice-free Arctic by 2013. Um, These figures are fresh, he said on December 14th, 2009, uh, during a climate change conference in Copenhagen. Some of the models suggest there will be a 75% chance that the entire North Polar ice cap during some of the summer months could be completely ice-free within the next five to seven years. So you can go back historically over and over again um, and we still find the same results which are the climate uh, the people that are panicked about climates if you remember and we've had some pretty horrible storms I lived through Hurricane Andrew although it didn't hit me directly I was living in southwest Florida on the other coast so um, I was there when Hurricane Andrew hit Florida we all remember Katrina and other devastating storms that have hit Houston and the Galveston Texas area Um that we've had major storms decimate the eastern seaboard. Uh, hurricanes have been very bad. And when we have a hurricane season with a lot of named storms, um, people say, see, we told you, climate change, the severity of these storms, climate change. And then you have a year like this where it is very possible, and we've only got oh, what a day left before it's September, and we may have broken the streak, and there may be a named storm in the month of August. But it would have been the first time, I think, on record that there were no named storms in the month of August, an extremely quiet hurricane season. What do you attribute that to? Part of the state of, or part of the country in this, uh, the desert southwest is suffering from an immense drought. Other parts of the country are suffering from floods. It's all climate change. That it's all climate change. It's all man-made climate change. 
This is where the problem lies. You want to tell people that we should be better stewards of the planet? I'll join you. I will join you in that. We want to make sure that the animals are protected as much as we can protect them. The herds of animals here, the fish, clean water, clean air, beautiful forests where we can keep our uh, towns beautiful. I'm with you. I, I, you've got me lockstep as an environmentalist. Lockstep with you. When you start saying these predictions of how the ice caps are going to melt and we're going to be underwater, I grew up in, first of all, I lived in Ohio. I've told this story before. I lived in Ohio during the Great Freeze when we were going to have the cooling. Go look it up. The stories are there from the 1970s. The entire earth was going to freeze. We weren't going to thaw out in time to grow crops, which meant we were going to starve to death. And I was living in northeast Ohio when storms were coming and we'd have snow drifts up to the windows in our house. My parents' cars were covered in snow. Moved to Florida in the 1970s, boom, we hit the 80s, what happened? We burned a hole in the ozone with fluorocarbons from aerosol cans, and now it was global warming, and we were all going to burst into flames, and look how hot the summers are. And all these predictions that where I lived in the state of Florida, because it was a peninsula, is a peninsula, it was going to be underwater, that people in Florida were going to actually be underwater, that at the rate that the icebergs and the snow caps and the ice caps were, were melting, that Florida was going to be underwater, at least major parts of it. And I lived on the coast. I lived in a beach town in southwest Florida. All going to be underwater. When you go back, they have been wrong with their predictions five, seven, eight, ten years every time they've predicted. The earth, the idea that we are more powerful than the earth to me is astounding. That doesn't mean I don't think we should take care of it. I think we have an obligation. I think it's actually sinful to treat the earth badly. But the idea that that we are going to control the planet is absurd to me. Absolutely absurd to me. And now here it comes. Zombie ice is what it's being called. And in 10 years from now, I'll pull that story back out and we'll laugh at that because it won't come true. That's how it's going to be. That's how it's always been. The earth cools. The earth warms. We've had floods. We've had droughts. It's happened throughout the history of this planet. And it will continue to happen. And I just think we need to do a good job of taking care of it. But the idea that we are ruining it is not something I believe in. And I I just can't believe we continue to listen to the rhetoric, especially of people that are jet-setting with carbon footprints 10 or 20 times what you and I have ever done. Just after 11 o'clock, we are going to talk about home prices and the economy and how it's affecting you next.